Hey guys, Frank here, and thanks for checking out the continuation of our two-parter with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Michelle Phillips. As we said last week, there was a lot uh, to unpack here, as the kids say, and one episode wasn't going to cover it, so we decided to break it into two, and uh, assuming you heard part one last week. So enjoy part two. We talk a little bit about everything. Um, Michelle's Hollywood career, making Ken Russell's Valentino, and the man with Bogart's face, who remembers that one. Lots more about John and uh, Denny and Cass, including Cass's reaction to that well-known lyric about her in Creek Alley. We'll talk about Michelle's uh, adventures with uh, and her encounters with people like Elvis and Groucho and Gregory Peck and Cary Grant and a few other people. Gilbert throws in some uh, well-timed impressions. Uh, we talk about the Mamas and the Papas at Monterey Pop and a lot more. There's a little bit of everything here. So enjoy part two of our chat with Michelle Phillips. Tell us about the old days, though. Tell us about coming to New York. You were not, you were, you were a California person. You were not prepared for the cold weather of New York. I like the story that you had, what, you had, you went out and you bought like a backless dress or something and you were, and, yeah. and, and evening slippers and you were freezing. <laughs> where, where, where did you live in the seventies, by the way? I'm on 74th street now. We were on 72nd and, um, uh, Madison. Oh, not about three blocks from here. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it you, was a you... very nice, very nice building, you know. Um, money was not a problem for us because John was making a lot of money in the journeyman. Mm-hmm. And I was making, um, the minute I started modeling, I started to make a lot of money. Right. And I got to keep all of my own money. And I could do whatever I wanted with it. And it was fabulous. <laughs> but but and, New York wasn't for you. It, it When I told friends that I was going to go to New York to meet John, they said, oh, you have to get yourself a wool dress. I said, okay. So I went to Orbox in L.A., and I bought myself the most adorable sleeveless, backless wool dress you've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have any gloves. I didn't have a hat. I didn't have any shoes. That's interesting. You know... Someone just, could have told me I'd never been in snow before in my I life. I know. I love, that's fascinating. It's it's almost like psychologically you're rejecting the idea of New York. You don't have the you don't have the clothing for right. it. <laughs> well, well, it was at that point that early on that I, I I just started bitching and moaning about it, saying, "John, I want to go back to California. We've got to. Why can't we live in California?" Mitchie wants to go to the sea. Yeah. Right. And can you tell us some of your experiences on Valentino, like you and Nuriev? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you never knew who you were sitting down next to in in the makeup trailer at 6 o'clock in the morning. He was either this really adorable Russian guy with tales of growing up you know, in Russia and eating not, nothing but potatoes. <laughs> uh, or you had this monster sitting next to you who uh, didn't know his lines. And if he did know his lines, you couldn't understand a word he said because he did not. He was so miscast in this. Ken Russell was hoping that that wonderful Thing that he had on on the ballet stage uh-huh. would translate into film, but um, he felt very insecure and uh, inadequate. And if there's one thing you do not want, is a star who is insecure and inadequate, because he would have these tantrums, and he would slap everybody. He, you know, the only person that I know of on the set that he did not slap was Ken. Wow. And uh, I came down to uh, to the set one morning and my chair was right next to Rudolph's chair. 
and then Ken Russell, and he was having a fight with Ken, going on and on about, I'm not going to say these stupid words. I'm not going to do this scene. I'm not going to do it. And Ken would say, but it's written. It's a good scene. You know, probably wasn't a good scene, but nonetheless. And so I did a very stupid thing. I butted in and I said, well, Rudy, is there something you'd rather say? And he turned around <laughs> and I saw this snake looking at me and he slapped my hands as hard as he could. And he said, this is none of your fucking business. So at that point, he got up. I think he thought, I might have gone a little too far here. He got up, and his butt was right in front of me. So I hauled off, and I slapped his butt as hard as I could. And he put his hands on his, on his buttocks, and he s started scurrying across the floor, saying, you little cunt, you little cunt. God. <laughs> and uh, he did this in front of 350 extras, by the way. Wow, we. And then he was very upset when it was in the, in the uh, afternoon newspaper. <laughs> so, um, and he he just got up and ran to his uh, trailer, and he would not come out. And uh, so Ken told us all to go home. And I got a call from Ken that afternoon, and he said, Michelle, there will not be any more shooting on Valentino until he apologizes to you. I said, oh, please don't. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I just want to get on with this scene. Just say, let's call it a truce and get back to work. And uh, we did. And... um. It, it it was not the happiest uh, it, uh, uh, shoot that you could imagine. I was in England for six months doing it, and I had China with me. I had, uh, you know, I had a, a a great townhouse on Cadogan Square, and it was really fun to be in England with all the, you know, the stones and and. Uh, uh, and and Warren did come over a couple of times, you know. All, oh, it's so great to see you. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, it, uh, it sounds that, like it could have been a different a different movie experience with a different co-star. Yeah, had, had somebody yeah. not so angry and petulant. Yeah, even mm -hmm. Leslie Caron hated me. I mean, we we, you know, I think that that Warren actually came over to see Leslie because Leslie was an old uh, girlfriend of his. Oh, interesting. And uh, Leslie and I got, got along fine until one morning I uh, it, it came into the trailer and, and she said, well, let me just preface this by saying that she used to tell me that she had an open marriage with her husband. Michael. And I said, really? How, how does that work out? She says, it's worked out beautifully for us. We we uh, are never bored, and we don't uh, restrict each other's lives. And I said, oh, great. So one day I walk in, <laughs> and, and she said, your girlfriend Susanna took off with my husband. And I said, Susanna, I don't know any Susannas. I said, I only know one Susanna, and she's married to Richard Silbert. And she said, that's her. <laughs> and she never spoke to me again on the, on the set. Why was, it, why was it your fault? That, because, that, she was, <laughs> because Susanna was my friend. I see. And so I had to, you know. Right. Um, it, it got a little testy towards the end because mm -hmm. you know uh 
Rudolph and and uh, Leslie would only speak to each other in French. <laughs> and yet you got along with the tempestuous Ken Russell. I loved Ken. A real character. I, I, oh, he was such a character. He was so funny and so much fun to be around. And and his wife did all the costumes, and they were great. She was it's really... A, it's a beautiful movie to look at. Yeah. And you knew, or at least met, Elvis? I, I met Elvis once uh, when John took Ann Marshall and I to Vegas, and we saw him performing in his white leather suit and he was it was it, it was towards the end um but it was great because we went backstage and uh and he's he's like oh man i'm so i'm so touched that you guys would come see me i'm such a big fan and it was just great to have met him because i was a big fan tell us about it since we're talking about famous names and icons tell us about these famous parties that you guys held in the in what was what was jeanette mcdonald's old house yeah and you talk about it in the book and everybody would come to these these parties that you guys threw well so you, we, you met sinatra uh-huh sinatra would come and uh mia brando and- Grando, yeah. and uh, it it was it was uh, really interesting because we had Jaja Gabor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't think you wouldn't think of, of the mamas and the papas attracting the, this the, this guest list. And and but, Frank, uh, when we were talking, said he wasn't sure, but was Groucho Marx? Groucho, did you ever meet Groucho? Oh, Groucho and I became very good friends. And oh, good. We're glad we asked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I, you know, p- you know, in in, in uh, interviews, people many times ask you, "Is there someone that you have not met that you'd love to meet?" And everybody, of course, would say John Lennon, or you know, uh, you know. A contemporary, and mm-hmm. I, I said, I would just love to meet Groucho Marx. Wow! <laughs> and um, Jack and I had gone to a fundraiser for uh, McGovern, and we were out in the garden, and it was packed with people, and I was strolling around, and I saw Jack was on a, a chair trying to get my attention and then he pointed down and he said Groucho <laughs> wow so, so I came running back and practically threw myself at his feet I think I actually did throw myself at his feet and uh, I said I'm so glad to meet you I'm Michelle Phillips he said that's great honey that's great you want to go out sometime <laughs> And um, Groucho used to go to the to the Daisy, uh, which is a club that we all mm-hmm. went to in Beverly mm-hmm. Hills. And um, uh, I wish I could find it. It was in a, a magazine called Show. It was a whole. Uh, it was a full page ad, a drawing of uh, Groucho. And Michelle Phillips, in he's in a tux, and I'm in a long, slinky black dress, and it's it says Michelle and Groucho at the Daisy. <laughs> oh, we'd we'd love we'd love to see that picture. I wish I could find it. I've never I don't I don't have it. So if anybody out there has Show Magazine, and the ad for the Daisy that says Groucho and Michelle. Um. Please let me know. Was there one party for nine hundred people or eight hundred people or this these insane these insane? How, how did you how did you do this? How did you pull this off? How did you have these well, massive parties? I don't know how. They how do you grew. get nine hundred people into a party? 
Well, the, the house <laughs> the house was uh, a good size house. It, it was just that, you know, who do you turn away? Right, of uh, course. You know, we had a cop at the door. It got it, it. It got so out of control that at one point, I remember John and I were standing in the foyer, and we saw these people walking down the steps from the, the upstairs bedrooms, and they've got our gold records under their arms. <laughs> and John says, "Where are you going with those?" And the guy says, "Oh, you, you, you want these?" And then he. <laughs> <laughs> party guest was walking out with your gold <laughs> records good yeah. lord yeah we will return to gilbert gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline no, can I, I can I ask you a couple of questions from listeners, Michelle? Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's about Monterey Pop. Uh, Edward McDonald. I'd like to know if Michelle has memories of Jimi Hendrix's performance at Monterey. To me, it's one of the great live performances ever recorded. Now you you've said that you 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 were very young and you did not understand the setting the guitars on fire and the smashing of the. No, it didn't, didn't make I'd any ne- sense I'd, to you. I had never seen anything like that, and I thought it was awful. Because, you know, we always cherished our instruments, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you always kept them in, in their guitar cases and their banjo cases. And you, uh, I didn't under, this was the beginning. You have to remember, this was the beginning of kind of rock and roll theater. And that's what it was. But I didn't understand that and I didn't like it. And, um, but I like Jimi Hendrix. I like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I assume and, it's the first time you saw The Who live, too. Yes. Yeah. Didn't like that either. And, <laughs> and uh, you, um, uh, when you were, there was a story that you were visiting uh, John Phillips when he was in the hospital. Oh, at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. I I am probably the last one who ever saw him alive because I went in late at night uh, and it was very sad, really. There was just a blue light on over and you could see his drawn face and, and uh, he was asleep. And I just stood there by the bed and looked at him, and then he opened his eyes and he looked at me, and he said, "Mitch, Mitch," and uh, and I told him, I said, "I just want you to know that you made me the woman I am today." Wow! And I want to thank you for that. Uh, and then, uh. I leaned down and I gave him a kiss and he was just smiling and I said, you want me to come back and see you again? He said, yes, I do. And so I said, I'll come back. And he was dead by morning. So I think I was probably the last person that he knew, maybe nurses or doctors or something. But um, that, was, that was a kind thing you said to him in that moment. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, 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 I went through so much with John. The good, the bad, and the ugly, I'll tell you. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's really hard to hold a grudge against someone who was so funny and so talented and so uh, instrumental in who I became uh, that... Really, I just, uh, I just, 
was glad that I got to see him that last time and go mm-hmm. out on a good note. Mm-hmm. And you were the last person, I believe, to talk to Cass too. You, you had a phone. She called. Uh, she uh, called. She, she called from London. She called me the night. Of, yeah. Uh, from Harry, Harry Nielsen's flat. Mm-hmm. And she was crying, but she was crying with joy. She said, I sold out every show, and I'm on my way, and I'm not going to be Mama Cass anymore. She was Cass Elliot, and and I've said this before, you know, uh, when Cass Elliot died, she died a very happy woman. And she did not choke on a ham sandwich. No, that's that was just it, a silly, a silly myth. Yeah, that myth. was that was a famous urban legend. I know, I'm, but uh, so many people believed it. Yeah. yeah, because that's what they that's what they heard on the news. Yeah, it was accepted. Mm-hmm. Now I heard uh, there was also a story that um, uh, um, Cass is this, Elliot is this the conk on the head story? Yes, yes, <laughs> that she received a, a head injury. That improved her singing. That's not true. I know John pushed that story like mad, but it's I not. I think Danny. I think Danny pushed it too. He might have, but but you know, all you have to do is listen to Cass singing uh, with the Big Three. That mm-hmm. was before the Mamas and the Papas, and she is. Uh, I mean, Cass had to learn how to blend because she was used to being out there, being the 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 soloist and she could belt out a tune and and but she didn't have a range problem she could she could sing as, as high as high as john you know wanted to arrange something he she didn't have a problem with that she, her only problem was learning how to sing with my little voice and having it blend together and that made for a really pretty sound. Which leads yeah, no. me to my so next question. Wasn't ahead, that ahead, head no. injury? That <laughs> no, oh, there, was no, there was no head injury. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it did. It's a good so, story. She was hit on the head by a, 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 a pipe. She was walking uh, past a construction site in the Virgin Islands, and it and this pipe fell. And hit her on the head. Yeah, I should I should clarify. There wasn't there was an incident, but it didn't change her singing voice. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. But Does that's how love... that's how John uh, wanted to. He wanted to make it sound like he he always wanted her in the group. She just mm-hmm. wasn't capable because she didn't have the range. Well, that's obviously ridiculous when you listen to her voice in the mamas and papas and you listen to her voice in the big three and you listen to her voice even in the mugwumps i mean she she always had a a great range and uh and and she she was a belter well i'm sticking with the head injury gilbert's Gilbert's not gonna let it go I, I love Michelle's solo, uh, uh, Cass's solo career too. A make your own kind of music, and it's getting better. She did, she did some really wonderful work. Yeah, she did. Nobody can tell you. There's only one song worth singing. They may try and sell you, cause it hangs them up. The voice thing leads me to another question from a listener, Mike Thompson. Can uh, can Michelle share her thoughts on Herman, the mysterious fifth voice in the band that could be heard Harold. when the singers... No, oh, no. is it Harold? No, no, no. Harold was the car. Um, not Herman. It's a harmonic. It's some kind of a harmonic that happens, and it sounds like there's another voice singing. You know, we That's would f- listen back to the, fascinating. The, 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 the playbacks, and we would... Definitely hear uh, uh, another voice. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's just something 
It happens. It's a harmonic that happens when uh, you get those <laughs> vibrations going. Adler and tells that great story of, of Denny being passed out on the piano. When you guys were, it's, he tells the story in the documentary in Echo Which in the time? Canyon. <laughs> you guys had, I mean, the booze was flowing in the in the studio. Denny had passed out; he was sound asleep, and he and and he you needed a he needed a line, and they dropped the mic while Denny was oh. half asleep. Oh yes, and they Lou made Adler him position. sing it. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. true. It's, it's... <laughs> From his his slumber. <laughs> yeah, that that, that he... piano really got a workout too. I'll tell you because. Uh, I remember when um, we, when John and Lou wanted cast to sing the lead to Words of Love, mm-hmm. um, she was being interviewed. And uh, so John and Lou were in the booth, and she's in the studio with this reporter. And uh, they say, uh, Cass, can we get you to do this lead now? No, I'm busy. And so, uh, so, you know, she goes on talking about, you know, her, her life to this. Cass, can we get you? Just just go just go do that. No, I'm busy. I'll do it in, in, in a little while. Finally, they said, Cass, just pick up the fucking mic. Get up on the, st- on the piano. There's a great big Steinway. Mm-hmm. And sing the song. She says, oh, for Christ's sake. So she picks up the microphone. She actually crawls up on the Steinway and stands there. And she says, roll them. And she sings that song in one take. And it's so beautiful. And she throws the mic down. Wow. And she she says, (laughs) got it, Lou? He says, perfect. (laughs) And, That's and a good story. You had dealings with Brian Wilson too. You knew him. Well, I knew Brian. Uh, yeah, because Brian, Lou, and John used to play basketball together. Were, were you struck when you saw the the room full of sand in Brian's house? It was so funny because you know, I uh, I had uh, been there several times. You know, and they had a regular living room you know but one day i went over there and i see that they've taken everything out of the living room and filled it with sand and the only thing in the living room was the piano and the piano stool that was it and so (laughs) marilyn comes down and i'm kind of looking into the living room she says i know i know i know it's weird but he's writing some great songs. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I love that it inspires him. <laughs> and, and and he was writing pet sounds. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 Did John Phillips have a thing going with Mia Farrow? Yes. I don't know how you knew that, but. <laughs> wow, Gilbert, she was you're like Rhoda Barrett. Oh, she was actually, married to Frank Sinatra at the time. I believe she was. And uh, uh, I had just had China. And China was just a few days old. And uh, she, she was very friendly with me. You know, she just, uh, you know, was very friendly and... One day she said, let's go to Joshua Tree. And uh, I I don't know if we had been in Joshua Tree before. I think we had. But the minute we got out there, she takes John by the hand and says, let's go see the sunset. And so they left me there with China, who was about eight days old or ten days old. And they disappeared. And didn't come back until seven o'clock the next morning. <laughs> wow. And yeah, she was she you know, she was pretty brazen about that kind of stuff. I, I was surprised that Frank didn't have John's legs broken. Gilbert, I don't know where you're getting your information, but that uh 
Well, you know, it was on the cover of uh, of either the National Enquirer or the Star or something like that. It it's a picture of John and Mia, and then there's like a little insert of me, and it says "Mamma Mia." <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. (laughs) Here's another question about the music, uh, Michelle, from Paul Wexler, who's actually the son of legendary producer Jerry Wexler. Uh Uh-huh. And he has a question for you. Uh, Did John arrange the harmony arrangements? Did John write those, or was it a back and forth with the four of you working it all out? No, John wrote it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. John was really a wonderful vocal arranger. I mean, he... He could hear parts in his head that, you, and, and and if it didn't work, you might be work you you, you might be trying to get it uh, recorded for five hours, and he says he'll say, you know, and, and they were always very intricate parts. And mm-hmm. he say, Michelle, I'm going to change your part, and I said, no. <laughs> he say, yes, I am, and then. It, it would work, or sometimes we would be in the studio um, trying to get it right, and we couldn't do it, and we couldn't do it for a long time. And and Lou Adler would come out and say, "I've got an idea. Why don't you put the bridge after uh, the third verse and come back and do the, you know, he he'd completely." change the 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 structure of the song mm-hmm. and we'd sing it and we and and we say that's it that's it so he, perfect. he he was open to an idea that that uh, somebody else's idea and input oh yeah it, yeah it, to, to his yeah. credit why didn't he like your second verse of california dreaming i, I love it well, why did he, he ever... didn't he, he he didn't like the whole church thing you know first of all you have to remember John um, was in military school, mm-hmm. Catholic military school, from the time he was seven years old, uh, all through high school, and then uh, and then he went to Annapolis. And he hated the Catholic Church. He hated the military. <laughs> And, um, and when I, I'm, that's the only part of California Dreamin' that I wrote was the second mm-hmm. verse. Mm-hmm. And at the end, you know, because he woke me up in the middle of the night, we did it in the, in the middle of the night. And he said, I don't know about that verse, with, you know, the church and the praying and all that stuff. And I said, oh, well, you know, we'll change it in the morning. But we just never got a- around to changing it. It so. takes the song to another level. I I, I always liked it. Now, um, well, most people do. Stopped into a church. I passed along the way. Well, I got down on my knees. And I pretend to pray. I A lot of people left cold, cold weather states and headed to California because and, of that and song. And left the Catholic Church. And well, let's. <laughs> I won't comment on that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I heard somewhere that you, that all the mamas and the papas, the way they acted, the way they looked, the way they dressed, was different. And John came up with the uh, ideas of what costumes. And what, how you should wear your hair and everything. Well, and no makeup. No makeup. Yeah. Um. He, uh, he, he felt that we had an image, and that we were hippies. Don't forget that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> rich, rich hippies. Yeah. Well, then yes. we got to be rich hippies. But yeah. at, at the beginning, you know, when you see us in the bathtub, those were the clothes we owned. I mean, we didn't have, uh, we we didn't have any money at that point. That was before the album was released. Obviously, mm-hmm. when we took the, that picture, and um, but then as we as we became richer, uh, we started to. Well, actually, it was Mia who introduced us to Profil de Mont and this woman, Tony, who was making, she made all of our, our, our stageware for us. And they were beautiful. They were, you know, Damascus brocades and, and uh, saris, beautiful Indian saris. And uh, so then we became rich hippies. But John didn't want us... He didn't. He he would not let us wear heels. I mean, that was just out of the question, and uh, he always wanted us to uh, not conform. To uh, you know, we were never going to be wearing long black dresses and, and and high heels, and and he wouldn't let me wear. He wouldn't let me wear makeup, even. He said. <clears throat> you know, we're hippies. We're not the Supremes. You know, we're hippies. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's great. If, you, it... if if you put makeup on, she's gonna want to wear uh, eyelashes. And if you put your hair up, she's gonna want to wear a fall. Meaning cast. You know, and he wanted to maintain that image of us, uh, even if we were rich hippies. We were not the Supremes, you know. We we were never going to wear, you know, glitter and. Well, and he he, under, he understood marketing. He understood who who yeah, you guys who you got who you guys were selling to. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. In, in he addition, was right. And he was and he and he was right. Just tell tell us a little bit, Michelle, about about Laurel Canyon in those days. About you know uh, you know David Crosby compared it to to Paris in the thirties. It w- there was a renaissance going on. You guys were in the middle, smack dab in the middle of it. Well, uh, and Cass, we were, Cass was and like they called Cass the Gertrude Stein of Laurel Canyon. Of, yeah. She she had an open door policy, and she was a connector. And you could go write and leave messages written on her wall. I mean, uh, she she just attracted people, and she everyone was always welcome, mm-hmm. and. She, you know, we all knew each other from the folk days. Right. You, you know, when you think about it, Crosby and uh, Jim McGu- uh, uh, Roger McGuinn uh, were in a folk group. That Gene had been in the New Christy Minstrels, and right. Um, we knew everybody from New York. That's. The reason that we had to stay in New York was because that's what that is where the music business was. Um, you you tell that story and, in the doc. You said when the, when when the birds had a hit record, we knew it was time to go. Yeah. <laughs> we I knew remember, we had to. We I knew we had it, to get west. I, I think it was Cass who said, because we're we're sitting in in a bar in the Virgin Islands, and drinking beer, and we've got the radio on and. And all of a sudden, we all kind of stop and we're listening to Mr. Tambourine Man. And John says, is that the birds? And we're all listening really hard. Hmm. And we say, shit, that is the birds. And and Cass says, well, we got to get back to L.A. because if the birds can have a hit, anybody can have a hit. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And we ask this of all our musician guests, but tell us about hearing one of your songs and your voice coming out of the radio for the first time. We were actually driving up Laurel Canyon Mm -hmm. in Harold the Bleak, which was our car. It was a a 1959 uh, Buick convertible. And uh, and, uh, I don't... 
know what we're listening to, either KHJ or uh, KFWB or something. And um, all of a sudden, you hear that little, you know, that little guitar mm-hmm. riff, you know. And there's a moment of total shock when everyone just kind of stops and looks at the radio and we start singing and everyone dives for the volume and we turn it up. So great. It, it, it was just such a euphoric moment. You know, it was like, we're stars. (laughs) 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 We didn't hear it again for months. It took a long time for, for California dreaming to break and it didn't break until winter until I think January of 66 it broke in, yeah. in Boston. Yeah, yeah. And here's one I like to ask every singer and songwriter on this show. Is there a song of the Mamas and the Papas, maybe never released, that you say, this is the worst song we've ever come up with? There is no song that the Mamas and the Papas ever sang that did not get released. We were always so short of material <laughs> that no matter yes. how awful the song was, it it was going on that album. <laughs> if, if, if such a song exists, Gilbert, it's on the last album from 71. <laughs> and the other thing that I always ask, where do songs come from? Well... That's a really good question. Um, uh, sometimes it comes from a broken heart because that's that's the, probably the the easiest thing to write about. But for instance, when John and I wrote Creek Alley, that was one of the most probably the the most joyous experience that I had ever writing a song because it was funny it was true it was it had all these people in it that we had known from the folk days mm-hmm. uh, m- m- um, and McGuire just to get in higher in LA you know where that's at yeah that song <laughs> and, is an earworm and 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 then when when he's John comes up with this lyric, and no one's getting fat except Mama Cass, I am just on the floor laughing hysterically, and I said, "Oh, that's great! What are we really going to say there?" <laughs> he says, "That's the lyric." I said, "No, John, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's going to hurt her feelings." He says, "No, it's not." And I said, "Well." Um, I'm not singing it for her. He says, okay, I'll sing it for her. And um, she was coming over that afternoon for a rehearsal. And she sits down on the couch. She puts a, a pillow over her stomach. And she says, okay, so what's the song you're writing? And um, <laughs> a chill comes over the room. And John and I start singing it. And when it comes to the lyric... No one's getting fat except Mama Cass. I let John sing it. And she grabbed the pillow and she threw it at him and she was laughing. And she was totally hysterical. And she said, that is so great. I love that lyric. (laughs) To her credit. Yeah, yeah. She she didn't mind, uh, you know, she... She she didn't mind it at all. She she really did love the lyric. Stalling, Denny, working for a penny, trying to get a fish on the line. In a coffee house, the bastard sat. And after every number, they passed the hat. McGuinn and McGuire's just a getting higher in L.A., you know where that's at. And no one's getting fat except Mama Cass. And when you hear the record, you can see hear her voice above anybody else's. It's a it. wonder, wonderful song and a clever construction. Yes, it's I mean, very, was, very clever, was a yeah. sophomore plan to go to Swarthmore? 
you like know, she changed it, her mind one it's day. It's just so. It's just so such a such a wonderfully put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and 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 as I said earlier, it's it's an earworm. It's a song that that I will sing for the rest of my days. You <laughs> yeah. you guys did not like famously you and you and Cass had negative reactions to Monday Monday when oh, John couldn't first stand presented. It. <laughs> couldn't stand it. I, and I really did say that's the most pretentious song I've ever heard. <laughs> and, and 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 Denny wasn't crazy about the song either. And and Cass just said that's awful, John. That's terrible. And so finally, John made us sing it for Lou, and Lou said, "That's great." And I looked at Lou and I said, "Lou, it's not." He said. As a matter of fact, Michelle, it's probably your next single. Wow. And I said, uh, uh, I think it's awful. And he says, well, how about you do the singing and I do the releasing? <laughs> <laughs> and he knew. <laughs> and, he, and it shot to number one. And I mean, it, in that, it, the day that it was released, it sold 163 units that day it's amazing you, that's you when knew... that's when records really sold if they sold they sold really big yeah we should tell our listeners that we're talking to michelle and her the wall behind her is adorned with with frame gold records uh yeah so and yeah in in those days ones that your house guests didn't steal that's right <laughs> <laughs> well we did take them back <laughs> you know, it's it's such a magical journey, Michelle. You know, as we do, that that things have to happen for us, the success of a career. I also found it interesting that you guys always thought your success in some way was was inevitable. You you kind of you kind of in some way knew that it was going to happen. But it's it's fun to read the book and see things fall into place. The way you join, the way Denny mm-hmm. comes into the picture. You need cast. There's a little reluctance. Finally, cast comes into the picture. Then it's lo- not looking so good. And then Lou Adler, as you said, it was like a, a religious was, experience. Yeah, it it, it really it, it it it's like throwing seventeen passes at the crap table. You know, it's it's like anything could have gone wrong. Yeah, but didn't. But didn't, and everything just went right from the beginning. And meeting Lou and working with Lou was unbelievable. And working with uh uh. Oh, Bones Howe and, Bones, and, and, Bones Howe yeah, and, Hal, and Hal Blaine and Glenn and, Campbell. Hal Blaine, Glenn Campbell. But it's just it's just magic how everything everything happened. Every, well, uh, you know, also the stars aligned, if you will. They they did because we had never heard ourselves sing with anything but one guitar, mm-hmm. and when we got uh, uh, when we got into the studio and started hearing uh, these guys were so creative, you know, uh, and we started hearing a track and then singing on the track and then adding strings to the track or whatever, you know. Um, we, We would say, oh, my God, listen to us. (laughs) <laughs> you know how good you did know how good we, you were. <laughs> we we could not believe how beautiful it it all came together. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. What are things like now these days? Obviously, you're a grandmother, your grandmama, Michelle. Now, it's, it's it's not just Mama Michelle. You you still you're still coaxed to go on stage every now and then. I saw you performing with Wilson Phillips in 2014. <laughs> you went out. You did something in 2017 too. Was that a Monterey Pop reunion? Yeah, yeah. Concert. So every every now and then, do you 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 still have the uh, the itch to go up? Well, it's is Mitchie, fun. Is Mitchie still itchy? I guess is the yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's fun to sing with with other people. I I I wouldn't say that I miss singing, mm-hmm. but if somebody, um, you know, if, if the girls want me to go up on stage with them and sing California Dreaming with them, I, I, I'm i scrambling up those stairs. That's nice. You know, uh, because I enjoy it. That's good to hear. 
And people should watch the documentaries too, because it's just it's it's great history. You know, it's so it's important history. Uh, I'm going to plug them. You're in both of them, Laurel Canyon and Echo uh, Echo in the Canyon. And I'm going to tell people to get your book because our fans love this stuff. We've had a lot of musicians on this show. People you know. We've had Jimmy Webb. I think you probably know Stephen Bishop. I I, I know Jimmy Webb. Kenny Loggins has been here. I knew Jimmy Webb. Paul Williams was here. Uh-huh. And, we, and we think this is important history. And your book can still be found, California Dreamin', the true story of the Mamas and the Papas, which was competing with John's book at the time. That's why we had to put the word true in it. <laughs> we want our listeners to know this stuff. And, and, uh, and uh, they are. They're interested. But uh, we're, we're historians here. Well, that's great because uh, it is a very um, American part of history. You know, uh, and you the, saw everything. I was telling Gilbert, it's not just the music; it's that you were you were in the San Francisco scene first. You knew Lenny Bruce. You knew, yeah. <laughs> you knew, you knew Mort Saul. You knew these people, and then you were in the New York scene, and when everything was happening in the Village, and then yeah. you were in the, and then you were a big part of the L.A. scene. Yeah. So and, you're you're a little bit of a musical zealig, <laughs> if you if you, and, if you know and, that reference. It's and I. I keep meeting, you know, I mean, uh, I actually had a an hour-long conversation um, with Cary Grant <laughs> wow. when he was alive. And I got to meet a lot of old Hollywood because I met Irving Lazar and his wife, Mary. And so I was always invited to their, their parties, and I got to... You know, I got to m- meet people that I I watch on uh, Turner Classic Movies. Oh, I, I right heard you're now. a big TCM fan. I am, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so I have had many different lives. and uh, That's why people should read the book. And your childhood is fascinating, too. That's another, yeah. you and your friend, and that's another fascinating journey. We've had two Turner Classic people on our show. Yeah, we had I, Ben Mankiewicz I, recently on oh, the show. Oh, that's great. And, you know, and Robert Osborne was here and years Robert ago. And Robert Osborne, yeah. Well, you know, I I have the luxury now that I don't have to do anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I sit around and uh, have my coffee, and then someone brings me my plate of fruit, and... Um, I take and, and I read the New York Times cover to cover and the LA Times cover to cover. And then when I'm finished with that, I go out and I sit myself in front of the television set and I put on Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> so I watch movies for a couple of hours and, you know. Uh, you're, you're, you're giving yourself the film education that you never had because I know right. you, you, didn't, you didn't have a TV growing up. No, and and you didn't, never you you weren't a big movie person. John was a big movie person, uh-huh. and, but now you're getting an education. That's fun. Who were some of the old movie stars you met that you're really in awe of? Well, Groucho, of course, and Cary Grant, and uh, I met Gregory Peck, and uh, it's it's funny because I I went to a party at his house and I didn't really know a lot of people there. And all of a sudden, I looked over, and Gregory Peck was on the other side of the room, and he was looking at me, and uh, he looked at me, and he smiled, and he put his finger up, and he kind of beckoned me to come to to him. Well, you've never seen a girl move across a floor. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. And I I met um, just... A lot of a lot of people. You were you worked with Audrey Hepburn and Tony I, Curtis, and you I, worked with James Mason. Uh, Omar Sharif. Omar Sharif. Would you like to hear Gilbert's James Mason? By the way. Yeah. Go ahead, Gil. <laughs> Congratulations, my dear. I seem to have come just in time. Uh, I had a speech all prepared, but it's, it's gone out of my head. You see, I need a job. That's it. I need a job. I, I'm not constricted to drama. I could do 
coming to you swear. <laughs> what, do, what do we think, Michelle? Well, well, I'll tell you, I when I worked with James, we had one little scene where he pulls up to our house in the rolls, and he gets out, and I come out, and I'm his very much younger wife, and got my hair tumbling down my back, and I just, in the scene, I go to him, and I put my hands on his face, and I kiss him on the lips. And when we were about a week away from this scene, he says, we have to rehearse a lot. Gilbert, do you know who lived on in Laurel Canyon? Maybe before Michelle's time, Boris Karloff. Wow. Yes, yes he did. Yeah. But you know, the the thing about Laurel Canyon, I have to I have to say this, because rock and roll did not discover Laurel Canyon. Sure, it was a Laurel yeah. Canyon was a, a an art colony long before um, the the rock and rollers came and you know um timothy leary lived in in laurel canyon and uh a, a lot of actors in the 30s and the 40s and, the, and even in the 20s uh lived in laurel canyon mary astor lived in uh, right on appian way you, uh, you you sort you sort of played the mary astor part in the man with bogart's face no, I was I was his Gene Tierney fantasy. Oh, Gene Tierney. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I and misspoke. I I met Omar. Uh, um, what was Gene Tierney's husband's name? Uh, I was sitting at a bar once, and uh, and this man said he was sitting next to me, and he says, "I can't believe how much you look like my former wife." And I turned to him and I said. I can't believe you're using that line. <laughs> I've never heard that one. Oh, Oleg Cassini? It was Oleg Cassini, yes. Right, right. And he was married to her twice. And it was about three or four months later that I got the the, the script for uh, The Man with Bogart's Face. And in the script, I play his Gene Tierney fantasy. And I just thought, boy, if I can't get this part... I should get out of the business. <laughs> it's a fun movie. <laughs> so I went to Woolworths and I bought myself a, a a padded bra that made me kind of like a cup, a, a D cup, because she had a, a rack, you know, as I used to say. Um, and I went to 20th Century Fox and I had them give me a picture of her from the movie Laura. Mm -hmm. And I went to a makeup artist that morning, and I said, I want you to make my hair look exactly like this, and I want you to make my face look exactly like this. And I walked in with this beautiful white dress on, and uh, I looked a lot like Jane Tierney at this point. And I walked in, I, I did my reading, and I went home, and the phone was ringing. And it was my agent, and he says, they've made an offer. Oh, that's great! So, yeah, it was fun and playing her. You just you mentioned Laura, and one of my favorite Vincent Price lines is in Laura, where he says, "Where the guy asked him, do you know a lot about music?" And he says, Vincent Price says, "I don't know a lot about anything, but I know a little about practically everything." <laughs> yeah. Michelle, as we wind it down, I have to ask you, you're, you are the last of the Mohicans. I and, and, and you went back into the original studio at Western Studios, part of the dock, where you guys, where you guys recorded. And, you know, That's right. I forgot about that. How, how, did, how did it feel? I mean, uh, to, 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 be there, to be there by yourself and, and remembering these wonderful days. And I know you worked terribly hard in those days to pull those songs off, but... It's strange because they've kept Studio Three exactly 
mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. And that's where I socked Benny in the face. And that's where we heard the first playbacks of the Mamas and the Papas. And it was eerie, but they're lovely memories, really. Very, You're, very nice. I'm glad. You're grateful. Thank you. Yeah. So, so much, so much wonderful music. Thank you very much. Gilbert? Yes. Shall and we let this lady get to her TCM viewing? <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, you've been very generous with your time and with your Terrific. stories today. We can't thank you enough. Well, it's your, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you your, very much. I had a lot of fun. We we want to we thank those gentlemen who made this possible. Uh, Vince Melamed, who is there with you who is a songwriter in his own right and a very interesting guy. We'll ask our, we'll tell our listeners to look him up. Our friend Jim Della Croce, my paisan, and John Sebastian, we have to thank. <laughs> Who's the best? Who I understand made a Godfather call. And uh, again, get the book, get Michelle's book. And uh, thank, thank you for so many years of wonderful entertainment, Michelle. You're welcome. It's really a gift. Thank you very much for asking me on the show. Of course, of course. Gil Gilbert has to try out his James Mason on someone. Oh, yes. And, and <laughs> James Mason in a Warren Beatty film. Uh, from this point on, you'll have no recollection of Leo Farnsworth. It's your destiny, Joe. All right, so Michelle's going to pick up the phone and she's going to call Warren. <laughs> for us <laughs> oh god <laughs> and, and tell him and tell him to do the show and gilbert will gilbert will treat him to some some heaven can wait yeah okay and okay uh, so his, his mailbox is going to be full when he when this airs <laughs> and and before we wrap up uh we'll wrap up unless you have some other dirty words in that case, we'll keep you on for another hour. And and Michelle too. I'm I'm sorry you didn't get to see Otis Redding at at uh, at Monterey. Yeah, well, I saw the very last end of it, but uh, I I saw all the footage, so it was yeah. okay. You were you were off doing a nice thing for yeah. Laura Nero, for Laura Nero. Yeah. But Damn great her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> It is great to watch that to watch that concert film and see you guys in in the middle of that, and that was a great triumph. Well, it 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 it, it was, and that's also the night that I realized I was pregnant with China. Oh, right after the show. Oh, so extra special memories. Yeah. Of that, yeah. yeah. People should watch Monterey Pop. That's all I got, Gil. This okay. this lady has been so generous. Yes, I, terrific. I need some more wine. <laughs> Come over here. I'll get you some. What are you, what are you drinking, Gil? What do you got, Manischewitz? Uh, well, it's Apothic. Apothic Red. Michelle, our, our listeners will love this. Okay, I'm glad. And we thank I, you. I, we, I try to be entertaining. You are massively entertaining, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for this, this time with you. Well, thank you. You guys are a great interview. And oh, you! I wasn't interviewing you. Well, <laughs> we'll take it any way it comes. Okay. And it was thanks, thanks been, to John Murray too. This okay. has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre and the terrific Michelle Phillips. Thank you. We send you kisses and love, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Outside my window was a steeple With a clock that always said 12.30 